You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla Lee. How are you today? Oh, you know, I am exhausted. We went from having, like, a, a little, like, lull where there wasn't a ton of extreme driving-related news to crazy driving-related news and discussions that we have to have. Well, it was actually sort of a slow news time period in the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, we always have pandemic stories, but it was a slow news time period. And then, of course, we had the Great Flood, uh, among other things. The Great Flood, which we will talk a lot about tonight. Um, Yeah. So So lots of news. Lots of news. Lots of news. I wanted to talk about the Great Flood because... There's actually a lot of driving law implications that arise out of it. So for all of our listeners who are from B.C., you know exactly what we're talking about because you probably know somebody who's affected by the floods or know um, the roadways that are affected by the floods or you yourself are stranded somewhere without uh, highway access to where you need to go. Or you're concerned that uh, you're not going to be able to find gas at the local station, as particularly on Vancouver <laughs> Island right now, although I don't think there's a shortage. I think it's a panic buying uh, yeah. situation. Uh, but uh, large portions of the province right now significantly affected by road closures as a result of extreme rain that caused mm-hmm. significant and damaging flooding. And, you know, you think about forest fires burn forests, and yeah, you can lose your house, um, and you know snow can create large snowpack, and we can have some springtime flooding, but uh, there's nothing like uh, there's nothing like the torrential rain and and waves. I mean, water always wins, right? Yep. When it comes to wind, uh, fire. You know, I've seen fire, and I've seen rain, and I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. And that's um, just the last six months of weather. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, water is always the most destructive force, erosion-wise. Yes. Um, so lots of driving law implications. The first one, I thought we'd talk about something a little more on the kind of fun side, which is the videos that have been surfacing on social media of people uh, using their boats, using their... Uh, sea-doos, using their little hovercrafts, things like that, to take a trip down <clears throat> Highway 1. Well, it's interesting because there was uh, they, there was quite a bit posted on TikTok and Instagram in the like the, the opening hours before we were facing a, uh, a situation with a potential water overflow of the pumping station that pumps the water out of what used to be Sumas Lake over into the Fraser. Uh, and now when it became more grave, um, there's fewer, fewer people posting those videos because it's not that much fun. There's, but there's been people out there doing goofy things in boats in places that were normally historically in the last, you know, few decades, a river, a road rather. Now you might be wondering, but this is the driving law podcast, not the boating law podcast. It's also Why the boating law podcast, especially if yeah. you're boating along a road or a highway. 
I mean, there's a lot of the first people were just driving along in the ditch in their speedboats. Uh, lots for, of people with speedboats in the lower mainland of British Columbia. For a driving law podcast, we've spent an inordinate amount of time talking about pool noodles. Hmm. That's true. We've talked a lot about pool noodles and canoes. Anyway, anyway yeah, you can you... you can drive a boat in a manner that is dangerous as well, but you're not going to get a Motor Vehicle Act ticket. Nope, you're going to get a charge under the criminal code for dangerous driving or dangerous operation of a conveyance because a boat is also a conveyance. The thing is, how are they going to catch you? I mean, there's long strips where the uh, RCMP officer can drive alongside you as you're driving in the ditch. How are they going to catch you? They're going to find the video and identify you via the video. As the driver of the boat, as the boat yeah. operator. Well, you have to prove that it's dangerous operation well, of a boat, well, and so there's a standard a, there. In a boat, you don't even have to be the one, like, holding the wheel either, though. What's the... You could have multiple people in the same boat charged. That's true. Um, but what is the standard of care in a flood? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's a marked departure from the standard of a reasonable person. Does in a, a flood. Does a person in look a flood. at a natural disaster and go, you know what would be cool right now? Having a joyride in my boat on what used to be a highway. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that in and of itself is a marked departure. And you also have to think, like, what is, you know, where's the risk to the public there? Where's the dangerousness of it? Um you're, you're potentially blocking the egress of people who are escaping for their lives. You're potentially blocking the pathway of emergency vehicles or emergency services that are trying to get through. Well, if you're out there for pleasure purposes in a flood, I think you are an asshole. Um, yes. The, uh, but that may not lift it to the marked departure standard necessary to uh, to get a conviction for dangerous operation of a of a conveyance, I mean, maybe it would, depending on, I guess, the particular circumstances, but out for a joyride, a nice leisurely trip along the Trans-Canada Highway, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a dangerous operation of a, of a conveyance, Well, if they uh, abide by the speed limit. <laughs> then, then let me ask you this, because you and I have dealt with some boating under the influence cases, one thing that you can sometimes consider doing is similar to how we would resolve a, uh, a, a criminal impaired driving case with a plea to a violation of Section 144 of the Motor Vehicle Act for driving without due care and attention, there's a Transport Canada offense for boating. <coughs> boating without due care and attention. So could you get a boating without due care and attention if you're not on a waterway but you're on a highway that's flooded? I guess it's still a waterway. I mean, it would still fall under federal legislation. Is it a waterway? I don't know. Well, I mean, it's a it's an inland lake. If you're talking about the Sumas Prairie flood, uh, yeah. But it, what about other places? I mean, what about Merritt. Well, I don't know. I, I I don't know what it would fall under. I would imagine that it would still fall under federal waterway legislation. I mean, I every time that I've had one, um, a uh, a boating impaired boating thing that we looked at that it was always somebody on the ocean so it was yeah. uh somebody in uh, <laughs> yeah it was somebody up and up and down the coast so we didn't have to look at it for that purpose and i i don't know i remember there was a uh there was a minister of our government in bc uh long time ago like 40 50 years ago and i i remember finding the case and he was um flying a float plane and um 
was investigated for impaired. He his float struck a boat or something, uh, and ultimately he had a, a plea to a, an equivalent of careless driving, uh, sure. despite the fact that he was flying a boat that was a plane. So okay. there you go. I don't know what it would be. I mean, but impaired impaired boating is the same as impaired driving. So if you're out there drinking and uh, thinking this is your opportunity to drive down the highway after a few beers, um, but this time in your boat, I would say don't do it. I, I haven't seen anybody yet. I mean, we don't get that many boating cases. We probably no. get more than anybody else, I would think, bearing in mind our volume, and it still is uh, a relatively rare occasion. I mean, I, I... Usually they wait for you to dock, and then they wait for you to... Get in your, your car. Back up and, and back your trailer up, and then they charge you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the boat launch. Yeah, or you drive out with your boat, and you're pulling your, uh, you're driving your your heavy-duty uh, uh, one-ton truck with a fifth wheel pulling your boat, and that's where they get you, and, of course, then you're on for right. the towing and storage if, of that. If you go through a roadblock towing a boat, you're getting a breathalyzer. Yeah, pretty much. Guaranteed. <laughs> or if you're if you're a roofer. If you're driving a roofing truck and you go through a roadblock, sure. you're going to be you're going to be blown into a breath tester. Okay, before we move on from this aspect of our flooding discussion, um, one thing I did want to mention is the people who are using their boats to rescue the animals. What about them? They are not committing an offense, in my opinion. No, of course not. I mean, there's there's never an offense there. I I don't see how you could ever make that out. They're doing it well, in an emergency situation to try and, and rescue livestock. They're responsibly using their boats. It's a dangerous situation. Getting in a boat at any time is a dangerous situation. Uh, it's particularly dangerous in this situation, but that's not the point. They're there to try and, and save the lives of their livestock and save property. Imagine an enterprising 28-year-old prosecutor who sees this file and goes, well, there was an evacuation order, and they weren't evacuated. They were instead of their boats trying to save livestock, and considers the test for necessity and says, well, the harm avoided is not greater because it's just animals. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody would do that if they wanted their career to continue in <laughs> law. Uh, I mean, everybody who's watching all of these people trying to get animals out in their boats using jet skis or lifting oh. calves into boats or whatever Break it is. Heart, yeah, all, all you're thinking the whole time is, I don't want to be that cold out in that boat, but I'm willing to go out there and do that for the sake of, of some animals. And if it was my livestock and my animals, of course, I'd be doing the same fucking thing. I'd be, I'd be there trying to get my animals to somewhere safe. So next thing that we should talk about is travel bans. We've already talked about travel bans. Well, this is new, though. Well, this is new. We've talked about travel bans before, uh, and we talked about it in the COVID context. And yes. it's uh, fascinating now because now we have, uh, instead of a situation where people can be in denial of COVID and maybe maybe some <laughs> lawyers and judges are in denial of COVID and you, you might be able to get into uh, to court and because they can't see it, um, they would uh, have trouble conceiving of it for the sake of justifying this restriction on your liberty. It's pretty oh, yeah. different. You know, we're going we're gonna to fight the travel ban. It's unconstitutional. Yeah, it's a little bit different when the travel ban is because the highway is unsafe. Yeah. 
You know, I, I think the I, all of these travel bans have failed, but we're going to see a bunch of travel bans. And I want to know if these same COVID assholes who were out protesting all over the place are going to protest the fact that they can't drive on the Coquihalla and their 4x4 and try and get around the stream that took out the bridge. Yeah, man, I've got a ski pass at Big White this winter. I suppose there's people who do. Can't be many. Yeah. There are people who've, you know, who've spent money on things they want to do in the winter in the Okanagan. Plenty of people with vacation homes. Plenty of people with vacation homes. homes. They like to spend time at in the winter. Uh, You know, social reasons. They want to go traveling. Look, we're we're coming up. We know the Coquihalla is not going to be open in time for Christmas. Probably some of the other highways out of the Lower Mainland will also not be open in time for Christmas. Those highways that are open are going to be the ones subject to the travel restrictions. Well, it's Highway 3 is going to be open next week. Highway 7 is going to be open next week. But only for but essential all. travel. Well, I know, and it's going to be, I mean, it's there will be many sections where it's one lane, and then, you, you know, it's closed off, and then you've got to sit and wait for half an hour while everybody drives through, and then it's one lane again. So essential right. travel. But, yeah, so I, I really oh. wonder what happens at Christmas time for all those people who want to get to their family somewhere else. And and, and I don't know that Did the I just co- get mansplained my own point? Yes. Well, stop it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, you're going to get people who at Christmas realize they can't get out of the lower mainland by car for Christmas family visiting. There, that, there are going to be people in that situation. I don't think they're thinking ahead to this right now because this is all terrifying and new. But that's going to be a reality because we see this, this it, you know, the highways that are open are only open for, and they're not open yet, but that will be open, only open for essential travel. And that's going to be for some time. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've looked at those photos. You looked at those photos. You sent me that YouTube or that uh, video from CTV that had the drone footage of the Coquihalla. And then I realized, you know, a lot of this is the same spot. Um, And they potentially could get one side of the bridge up to get to one lane uh, relatively quickly. I mean, I I have a lot of confidence in the... um, in the Ministry of Highways in British Columbia. I started following them on Instagram and Twitter a few years ago. Often I'm the only one commenting <laughs> on their posts. I wonder... Hey, highway, man. Hey, yeah, that guy really loves us. Um, the uh, And uh, you wonder, like, how much money do they spend on their communications department? Because really, they're just speaking to me. But here, I'm look at... I'm, I'm sold, right? Um, <laughs> they, they persuaded me. Uh, I, I'm generally very impressed with the manner in which they organize things. They, they do a pretty good job. Um, I'm surprised that they didn't put in, that there wasn't more, uh, uh, like rip rock reinforcing on the spots that came apart. I'm sure they're going to be reassessing that because you can see it's the elbow of the river and the elbow of the river flooded up and that's where it took out the road. But the spots where you look at where the bridges are, you can see the, the, the pylons and the pilings look okay. The bridge deck in the center looks okay. It wouldn't surprise me if they're not in there with a crane trying to re-lift up the other bridge decks because they're still there and just building up the end of it. I bet before Christmas time, they've got part of the Coquihalla open. I bet dollars to donuts. Really? Yep. All right. You heard it here on the yep. podcast, folks. $100 bet. 
Hundred dollars. Hundred dollars. I, I think need we a should, lot of donuts. I think we should bet something else. I think actual donuts. If, okay. If you if one... the if the Coca-Cola is not open to some extent by Christmas, you've got to eat one raw onion in front of me. And if the Coca-Cola <laughs> is open, uh, it can be a, a large sweet onion or a large can Spanish be any onion. Type of onion. Oh, see, you're you're a fucking lawyer. Okay, <laughs> hundred bucks. Forget it. How about I'm not negotiating. Donuts. How about loser buys the winner donuts? Sure. But you have to buy me donuts from Punk Rock Pastries. Now, see, you're a lawyer. Now you're adding conditions <laughs> on it. I just agreed. You're trying to add conditions. Forget it. All right. Donuts. Bets off. Donuts. Donut bet. Donut it's bet. a purely a donut bet. And it's donuts. It could be as few as two. Um, this reminds me of an election sandwich. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> okay. So um, you're on. The Coca-Cola will not be open in some fashion by Christmas. Yeah, I say it will be open in some fashion before Christmas. Now, but what I really wanted to talk about was essential travel, um, with essential travel, is what is going to be deemed essential? Because I think, this is my thought, when when they did the travel bans for COVID, and they're like, and these are all the things that are essential, and then you're like reading this like laundry list that looks like the credits at the end of a very high Sure, you and I were movie. essential. We could jump in our car and drive at any point because we are yeah. lawyers. Lawyers were essential. Where, where are you going, lawyer? That's all you had to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and they, but they also had like, like teachers and truck drivers and healthcare workers and people who were going to provide care to family members. And people, people who were going to check on their, equipment. check on their piece of property. And yeah, property managers. Property. And like all these reasons, I don't think we're going to see such a broad list of what's essential this time. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking it's going to be trucks hauling stuff. It's going to be supply chain and, like, law enforcement, military, and probably legal services and, and health care. I'd be surprised if it's legal services. I think they're going to expect lawyers to get on the phone uh, or get in an airplane. We now are in a situation where if it's for the purpose of going to court, you can do most court appearances uh, by phone if you can't get there. Um, you know, no, but you can fly, you can fly to the Okanagan, you can fly to Kelowna, you know, you don't have to drive to go there for a trial. Uh, you know, Abbotsford courthouse is fully functional and opening and every lawyer from Vancouver who needs to go to Abbotsford can get in their car right now and drive to Abbotsford, but you can't go to Merritt, but Merritt's closed, right? I feel like we're going to see more Abbotsford judgments like that one, a couple, a couple years ago where the uh, Abbotsford, uh, judge was like this this crown seems to think that going to Abbotsford is like traveling to another planet. I know. Lamenting the trip to Abbotsford, like it's, uh, it's really going out of your way. The courthouse. Yep. It's way far away from the courthouse. It's a, Abbotsford it, is very big. It's a, it's a, Abbotsford courthouse is big. Abbotsford is a town is not, the town site is not flooded. Their water supply is functioning properly, but Merritt is closed, right? And but there was and, enough. There was enough consternation, though, about the Abbotsford and Chilliwack courthouses that the B.C. Provincial Court and B.C. Supreme Court had to update their websites to confirm that they are open and matters are proceeding as normal. Yeah, I suppose you can get to Chilliwack from Highway 7. I don't know that, you, I, I assume you can't get down to Highway 1 right now, but you can get there. And yeah. there's probably not even that much traffic because there's no traffic that's going to the Coquihalla or Highway 3 or anywhere like that right now. 
Um, but yeah, Merritt's closed, Princeton's closed. Yeah, Princeton sits every two weeks, I think, and you know, Merritt, yeah. Merritt sits <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> Merritt's so. like once a month, and Princeton's like once every two weeks. And so Merritt, and, exactly and Merritt, the courthouse is way up on the hill. And Merritt Court Services also are run out of the Kamloops Registry. And I think it would be relatively easy for the court to move the operations to Kamloops and to re like and to have the merit trials just heard in Kamloops. Well, a lot of them probably could be heard in Kamloops because everybody's in Kamloops right now because Merritt's been evacuated and there's also no running water in Merritt, so you can't have a functioning courthouse until they do. I really worry about Merritt. I feel sorry for the people of Merritt. You and I both have a connection to Merritt and it's uh it's hard to see that. It was very hard to see all of those images. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that uh, is the great So, yeah, thing. you wanted to get back to, and I'm going to redirect you, essential services and what's going to be essential. And I don't think lawyers are going to be essential. I don't think lawyers are going to be able to jump on their car and drive down Highway 3 if it's packed with trucks and if they're stopped by the police just say, lawyer. And, and I don't think that's necessary, and I don't think that's right, because we have changed our whole system here where lots of appearances can be made uh, by phone, by video. If it's a trial, you're going to have to get on an airplane and fly to uh, Penticton. It's not that hard. It's a little scary because you're in a Beach 1900D commuter coffin, but, you know, you can do it. Judges do it all the time in this province. Yep. But what if you don't have the resources to pay for a flight? Well, that's a different thing. But I mean, the the cost of flying versus the cost of driving is often very similar. And um, I know that the airlines are likely going to be offering super discounted prices and adding tons and tons of flights because they're going to have to be able to service those. We're talking major communities, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Kelowna, Kamloops, and, and, uh, and Penticton, Vernon. Is there an airport in Vernon? Vernon International no. Airport? No, there's no airport in Vernon. Well, you can fly to Kamloops. Bigger problem that is... The Kelowna, is, the Kelowna Airport is Kelowna. like halfway to Vernon anyway. Well, there you go. Fly to the Kelowna Airport. Um, there is a bigger problem or another problem, and that is rental cars. And um, yes. I note that many rental car companies are actually really, really short of rental cars. And uh, I had to rent a car recently, and it was... Uh, it was uh, difficult to find somewhere that they had a rental car. Hi, Wrigley. Wrigley uh, had a bone. Um, it's gone now. Yeah. So he's figured out that if he acts like a jerk while we're doing the podcast, he gets another bone. No, oh, good for him. <laughs> he's smart. He's yeah. worked it out. He's like a dog with a bone. Or like a dog without a bone who wants a bone. Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to see some some supply chain issues. I wrote about this on my on my blog uh, a little bit about how climate change and these massive weather events and and you know the the devastating consequences of them are actually going to affect people's insurance and in particular their car insurance. Well, it's interesting. So you've got the uh, the guys in the big trucks, uh, pickup trucks, who are complaining about the increased price of fuel. And they made that choice to buy that truck. And that truck is, you know, arguably, you know, quite easily you can you can say that it is a much more contributing factor to climate change than a Hyundai Elantra, for example. Um, 
which uh, can also get you wherever you need to go in the snow. Jason Kenny, you don't need a truck, actually. If you just have a front-wheel drive vehicle with good tires, you can get there. Uh, but um, I say that because Jason Kenny posted a tweet this week of uh, that you could only really get around Alberta in a truck, which is absolutely absurd i drove i drove a car all my years in alberta i drove a volvo rear-wheel drive volvo and i managed just fine anyway the um the uh where the hell was it going oh so these trucks are driving around and and the guys are complaining about the fuel cost of the truck uh and they made the decision to drive the truck and of course the truck is contributing more to climate change than the Hyundai Elantra that they could have chosen, which was highly economical and would contribute less to climate change. And now, as a result of climate change, we are going to see insurance claims, uh, for example, as a result of this flood and of fires where vehicles get destroyed, where your ICBC premiums are going to go up um, and RV park and directly connected to climate change. Well, I don't know that that's going to be, I don't think that's ICBC insurance. I think that's probably their own insurance but regardless it's going to be uh, insurance costs increase which gets spread across the board hundreds if not thousands of vehicles were completely destroyed covered in mud from mudslides flooded over in these flooded areas i mean you looked on social media you saw pictures of cars that were just like Cars that were up to their, like, side mirrors in water, those are all write-offs. Well, the moment they get wet like that, it's a write-off. ICBC is not going to fix it, and you spend the next 20 years paying for every time you have an electrical problem or something like that. They just write it off. Uh, So they're going to have to replace those cars. And, of course, we have a car shortage to start with. I was driving by some car car lots, and they they don't, like, uh, car dealers, and there's no cars in the lot. Some car dealers have chosen to close and renovate their studio or their uh, their space, like the Honda dealer on Kingsway and uh, and uh, and Grandview Highway. Um. So going back to insurance, sorry, ICBC. You know the big the big savings that we've seen because of the pandemic and our pandemic rebates and our no fault insurance rebates. Those are going to evaporate real quick because. The dumpster fire situation is going to come back when ICBC has to write off thousands more vehicles than it anticipated this year. And the replacement cost for those cars has just gone up because it's more difficult to find used cars. So used cars have become more expensive. Yeah. So everybody who gets the money for their car is going to be looking, how much does it cost for me to replace this Honda Civic that was just written off? My my 2014 or 2012 Honda Civic that floated uh, in the new Sumas Lake, um, Sumas Lake point, 2.0, uh, is now costing, uh, you know, probably $3,000 more than it cost to replace that vehicle two years ago, or the yep. equivalent. Yeah. So, impact of climate change, you choose to drive the truck, now suddenly you're paying expensive gas and Part of the reason that we're in this boat is because you chose to drive the expensive truck. Now, uh, you know, your car, your truck insurance is going up. Well, everybody's insurance is going up. I know. I'm just hammering on the, I'm hammering on the truck people right now. Hating on the truck people. What did you drive? I drive What did you drive today? I drove a truck. (laughs) I drove my truck. Yeah. I inherited Um, that truck, so I'm everybody's everybody's insurance is going to go up um, as a result of this. I guarantee it. No doubt. 
And insurance companies, like, you know, after paying this out, ICBC is not going to turn around and go, well, you know, or, or home insurance companies or any insurance companies. They're not going to turn around and go, well, that was a one-off. Thank God these people paid all their premiums and we had some reserves and we could pay this. They're going to go, how can we recoup these costs quickly? And how can we never have to lose money on something like this again? And the, I bet that you are going to be able to buy insurance for climate change events, I bet that that's going to be like an actual policy available for, for purchase in the future, and that insurance policies will also soon contain clauses that don't protect you against certain climate change-related events unless you buy a climate change policy. Yes. Well, I will tell you, as I think about this and I hear everybody saying, this is extreme weather from climate change, I, I, I know that climate change exists i've seen the the glaciers retreat during the course of my lifetime i've seen the landscape change i've seen the winters change uh there's no doubt in my mind that climate change is real i don't think you can connect every climate event to climate change you know in the lower mainland of british columbia we have big storms this is just a bigger storm than we've had in a while you go back 200 years we might have had lived here i have lived here since the day I was born. I've never not lived in southern British Columbia. I have never seen a rainfall event like this. The most close event to this was in 1996 when we had a blizzard on Vancouver Island. If you were to go back historically over 500 years, I would bet you would find lots of events like this. Um, and, uh, yeah, this was bad. It was a terrible rainstorm, but we've had other terrible rainstorms. I mean, my basement flooded in Vancouver once. Just, it felt like the, the, it felt like a, a swimming pool, 50 swimming pools were dumped on our house in an hour. Um, it's only happened to me once in 10 years, but I mean, this is Vancouver. We live in a rainforest. Uh, in the wintertime, it's a rainforest. In the, in the summertime, it's incredibly dry. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's what you get. And I, it would be like this, I think, no matter what, having a, uh, really strange rain, I don't think you can, you can necessarily equate it to climate change. And I think that undermines sometimes the climate change, uh, um, message. Uh, but, you know, uh, you can also see that people who are particularly concerned about it and wish to, um, to, to speak about the danger, dangerous risk of climate change would like to use every event that comes along as a uh, moment of advocating. And I, I think that undermines their message to some extent. We live in a rainforest. I've lived through heavy, heavy rain here. It just was sustained longer. All right. Well, I mean... That's I'm my sure climate change. With you. That's dis- <laughs> disconnected to driving loss somewhat, but... Do you have something exciting for me? No, I don't. Oh, you don't have a ridiculous driver of the week for me? I thought you did. Okay, that's fine. I do have one. I'm going to borrow it. Actually, before we get to the ridiculous driver of the week, I just want to spend five minutes updating our listeners on what we talked about last week. Was it last week or was it a few weeks back? Last week we talked about the drug recognition evaluators falsely certifying. And there was a uh, piece published in the Times Colonist today um, where we learn that two drug-impaired driving prosecutions were stayed as a result of the false certifications. 
and a third was pled down to a uh, lesser included. Yeah, and I wondered about that. It went to a 144, and I wonder if that was before or after. And I'll bet that person Mm -hmm. pled to 144, not knowing that the person who did the drug recognition evaluation was not um, not certified to do it. And that yeah. concerns me. Uh, that person should be getting a phone call and should be uh, offered the opportunity to retract that plea, to withdraw that plea. Um, you know, there, is, uh, there are circumstances where you might accept a lesser plea, but you accept that lesser plea based on the information that is there before you, assuming that it's accurate. And if you were to find out after the fact that uh, the evidence that they've got in front of them is garbage and they should have known better and it was um, not in good faith, uh, I think you should have an, be entitled to retract that plea. But I will take the devil's advocate position here and say it's possible that that plea was a compromise if the driving and physical indicia evidence was very strong and an impaired driving conviction could have come from that. Entirely possible. Taking the DRE out of the mix. That's, that's entirely possible. But I, I think that person yeah. who did that, that plea, if they did it before this information was revealed, uh, should be going back and, and talking to their lawyer uh, and their lawyer should be talking to Crown Counsel to see whether or not that's appropriate. Because it made it sound in the article like this was, you know, the, oh, we realized this was a big mistake, and so we offered that plea to the person. Uh, and that, I'm sure, is not the way that it played out, knowing, you know, how things work in the justice system. I, I don't want to be cynical about it, but that's what I think. But that's just three now, so far. Just three. Well, I mean, it was between 2014 and 2016, so there weren't a lot of drug-impaired driving investigations happening. No, that's true. Well, we'll see something like this happen in the future. Anyway, that's a good thing to update on. Um, We have another update. There's another another update. Another update, yeah, two updates. This one goes back a couple weeks when you and I talked about the major case from the Quebec Court of Appeal where they convened a five-judge panel to deal with the question of delay. Today, which is Thursday... That case was granted leave by the Supreme Court of Canada. It will not be featured on an episode of cases that should have gone to the Supreme Court of Canada, but didn't. Uh, Yeah, and I think it'll get to the Supreme Court of Canada. I think the Supreme Court of Canada is going to agree with the Quebec Court of Appeal. That's my prediction. That's also my prediction because it's consistent with, like, years and years of jurisprudence from the Supreme Court of Canada, but then the question arises. Why allow the why appeal? I think grant- why allow the appeal? I think the reason to grant leave is because there has been a patchwork across the country. Whereas in BC, we have been closer to the Quebec Court of Appeal. Uh, Alberta has been has been um, far taking away. far away. Well, they, 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 they were following a line oh, of cases out of Quebec that were older um, prior to this decision. Uh, and in BC, we've sort of taken our own way, which was close, but still not as strict as the Quebec Court of Appeal. So I, I see no reason, I, I see no flaw in the reasoning of the Quebec Court of Appeal. So I think that, uh, I think the, the Crown appealing it, um, it may just be for certainty. It can't be for the sake of, uh, it can't be for the sake of um, persuading themselves that this is going to go the other way because let's look at the legislation. The Quebec Court of Appeal is just following the principles. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's for clarity in the law. Okay. I'm I'm, I'm knocking on wood. I'll knock on wood. I have.
the ridiculous driver of the week. Ridiculous driver of the week. Tell me. Which is a man from uh, Bradford, England, who amassed over 25 speeding tickets. 28 in total through speed cameras. 26 of them were in a four month time span. Oh my gosh. Only 22 years old. Oh, my gosh. And he disputed them. Oh, my gosh. And in his dispute information, he had to file something with the court uh, called a notice of intended prosecution. Yeah. And he provided information that the court determined was false. So he lied. So he lied. He got 26 speeding tickets, and he went to court, and he lied. 20, 28 speeding 28 tickets. speeding tickets went to court and lied. 26 in four months. And, I mean, I wouldn't believe the dude either. <laughs> like, of course not. Um, and he uh, got caught lying, um, trying to avoid getting points. So he ended up turning his 28 speeding tickets into also two charges of attempting to pervert the course of justice. Actually, he was charged with multiple charges of it, but he pled guilty to only two of them. Hmm. Well, he could have been charged with a charge probably for every ticket that he lied about. Uh, he got a 30-month-long driving prohibition. That'll learn him. Maybe. One year, one year in jail. A year in jail. A year in jail. For a 22-year-old. For speeding tickets. Yeah, in England. They, they really like putting people in jail in England. I went and watched court um, when I was last, let me see, 2004, I went and watched court there. I've been there since, but I, I went and spent a day here um, twice in two different locations, once in Wales and once somewhere in England. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe how harsh the judges were on sentence. Just, like, over the top. 30 like months, a year, a year in jail. It. It's not worth it for the points on the speeding ticket. Oh, my gosh. Like how on earth? Like, what, do the math on that. Like, and you you still lose your license for two and a half years. Mind you, you know, guy wasn't deterred. He nope. wasn't deterred. Maybe he will nope. be now. No, I'd appeal no. that. I'd appeal that sentence. I'd appeal that sentence. I mean, I don't really feel bad for the guy, though. No, but I would appeal that sentence if I were him. He might. <laughs> he might get it chipped down a little bit. Probably not oh, going up. I think Rick. Wants that's, you. Wrigley wants Wrigley you to end the podcast. Yeah. But this podcast is over. So uh, if you have a driving law related issue, you can always give us a call at 604 685 8889 or find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com. Just not if you're going to challenge any travel bans related to flooding. Um, and uh, please tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. <laughs>